one in four adults have a criminal background yeah or have been involved in the justice system in some way shape or form one in four that's a lot of people a lot of people right welcome to hr in happy valley the show where penn state's best and brightest deep dive into some of hr's hottest topics and feature hospitality industry professionals I'm your host, Juliana Baptista, and today we're diving into a realm of HR that's definitely gaining more awareness, but is still not talked about nearly enough. In fact, I knew little to nothing about today's topic before a couple of months ago. Whether you're like me or you're an HR vet, today's episode will inform and offer a new perspective on an issue that I've learned we can all relate to if we break it down. So let's talk about Second Chance Employment. To offer her expertise on the subject, I am very excited to introduce Jennifer Casey. Jennifer works as a Workforce Development Manager for the HOPES program through the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation. To keep things simple, today we'll reference this as the Foundation. Jennifer has worked in the hospitality industry with a focus on second chance hiring for over 10 years, and you have a front row seat to our conversation surrounding the incorporation of previously incarcerated individuals in the hospitality industry. Jennifer, before we dive into what your role truly means and what the HOPES program is, we're going to be using some terms that may not be super familiar to everyone. How would you explain a second chance program and what it means to be a justice-involved individual to someone who's unfamiliar? So a second chance program or a re-entry program, the words are interchangeable. Um, It's really, it's programs for people who have um, a criminal conviction that is presenting as a barrier to employment. There's a very complicated relationship that exists between a reduction in recidivism and employment. So it can't just be any job. It has to be a job with a livable wage. And so a lot of people, when they're released from prison, whether they've been down for a long time, meaning that they've been incarcerated for an extended amount of time, or if they've been incarcerated for a short amount of time, when an employer does a background check or asks on an application, have you ever been arrested or have you ever been convicted of a felony? That is a bias that makes it so the employer is looking at that person through a different lens, regardless of what their work history, their skills, abilities, personality, or anything else that they can bring to the table. So it's a huge untapped workforce pool that I think a lot of employers don't consider when they're looking to hire. And that's where you come in. So now I think it would be a good time for you to tell us a little bit about your journey to the foundation and the work you do. Absolutely. So I've been doing workforce development, concentrating on uh, second chance clients uh, with justice involvement for the past 12 years. It's something I'm super passionate about. I started out as a case manager and had one client who had a felony conviction on her background and really struggled with disclosing it to an employer. So I did a deep dive and researched all of the programs that were available and all of the kind of strategies and effective ways to help somebody get over this barrier. 
and that was 12 years ago. So I can tell you one client makes a huge difference um, in somebody's life. So from there, I was a director of a nonprofit here in Las Vegas, and that oversaw about $16 million in reentry funding and was able to serve over a thousand clients in my tenure there. So it was really awesome. And then the position at the foundation became available. And so it combined my passions of workforce development, reentry, programming and hospitality. Like I said, I live in Vegas. So I myself started out in the restaurant field in the front of the house. Um, I've worked in hotels, I've worked in casinos and just, I'm, I really love the hospitality work that we do. Awesome. And as someone who also feels strongly about how special the hospitality industry is, I can completely see how your two passions go hand in hand, working with hopes. I want to circle back to something you said earlier on that stuck out to me about the program, though. You mentioned how there's certain criteria that needs to be met when looking for jobs for justice-involved individuals. It can't just be any job. I'd love to hear more about the different options the HOPES program offers. Yeah, through HOPES, which is Hospitality Opportunities for People re-entering mm-hmm. society so the e is re-entering society <laughs> um so hospitality is so wide ranging it's not you know i know that everyone thinks like oh hospitality is like you work in a restaurant or you're a cook but hospitality is huge you know it's conventions it's a bartender it's working at a club it's mm-hmm. tourism ecotourism um a hotel, front desk, guest room attendant. So being a DJ, it's hospitality is is huge. It's not just restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, and so those are um, the HOPES program is a sector based strategy. So but there's lots of different sectors that are available to somebody with just involvement. We focus on hospitality because we want to see, you know, everybody who has ever worked in a restaurant or a hotel knows that you kind of start at the bottom and you work your way up, mm-hmm. you know, and all of us, I would say, I think it's like eight out of 10 people have worked in a restaurant in their life. Mm-hmm. It affects all of us, everybody in society. And so for every job that's created in hospitality, there's another, like another job, another opening created in another industry so whether it's the supply chain it's a cdl driver who's moving product um you know from a vendor to a restaurant sure you know so it's very and we all eat out we all have to eat right and we all partake in hospitality things it's at the center of life yeah it is at the center of life and so it's just an amazing program. It is a community collaborative approach as well. So we take um, our whatever state we're in, we take their Department of Corrections. We also have community-based organizations, which were nonprofits that specialize in serving participants who have a criminal background. And then we take the State Restaurant Association, and they all work together to create a holistic plan for every single participant. You know, the State Restaurant Association has access to employers who need quality applicants. Mm -hmm. Department of Corrections is kind of the feeder for the program, Mm -hmm. right? 
And then the nonprofit or the CBOs work with the client to make sure that their skills are where they need to be and that they can progress up the career ladder once they're in. So that it can be, this can be a career. That's what our goal always is, is a career because that's stable. Right. And the more stability somebody has in their life, the less likely they are to commit another crime. Absolutely. So the HOPES program's ultimate goal is that long-term opportunity, not just, mm-hmm. okay, now you're out and we'll get you set up with a job, but that's you're on your own from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we stay with them for a year after employment. Mm-hmm. Okay. To make sure that everything is on track, that, you know, they're stable. If any hiccups come up in life, which everybody, right. everybody gets bumps in the road. Yeah. And it's nice to have a support system there to help you overcome those bumps. Yeah, and, and that's the truth. We all experience bumps in our stories and face obstacles. So it's vital for these individuals to be supported too. Do you have an example or a story of a time Hopes was there for a candidate who was experiencing one of these bumps? I'm sure you have more uh, than one, but... <laughs> I actually, I um, met a young man in Chicago and he, it was, he, he was shocked. And he thought the people who would be there for him at the hospital, they didn't show up. The person that he didn't know really and didn't think he could count on from the HOPES program showed up, his case manager. Hmm. Went to see him in the hospital, helped him get recovery, you know what I mean? Like all of these things. And then continued to work with him to make sure that he was stable. And now he's like, he he wants to open his own food truck. You know, he's gone through Restaurant Ready, which is our occupational skills training. He is, you know, he got credentialed with ServeSafe, you know, and he's got a small business plan ready to go. And it's just, it's just amazing. So there's lots of, I mean, that's a very dramatic answer. No. But it, it's, it's small things like, hey, I need help with transportation getting to my job. Mm-hmm. So we can provide a bus pass. Or, you know what, I got hired as a line cook or a prep cook, but I, I can't afford a knife set. Well, okay, we'll provide the funding for you. So little things like that. And you know, helping problem solve mm-hmm. is, right. is probably the biggest part of case management is helping a participant solve whatever issue is coming up. Yeah, and it seems like all the little things ultimately end up making the biggest difference because sometimes it's the smallest things in, in everyday life that will make you rethink, okay, what am I even doing this for? Is this even worth it? So especially for someone who is re-entering society. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I can only imagine all of the other emotions that are they're dealing with. Yes, so, I, I mean, and it, you can't underestimate the trauma mm-hmm. that, you know, no matter what, it is a traumatic experience to be incarcerated. Sure. It just is. And then when you're released, you're very much on your own unless you have a very strong family. But even then, it's like that they can only help so much because while you were incarcerated, you may have lost your birth certificate or you can't, you know, your ID is no longer valid. And so all those little things that I think 
the general society takes for granted like oh okay mm-hmm. i have my birth certificate right here or my id is current or whatever it is mm-hmm. it now is a struggle now it, also if you're on supervision when you're released you have to answer to another person you know so it's a lot of different things that go into reentry mm-hmm. it's not as simple as like okay well you're out and let's get you a job at burger king right because that that kind of goes back to the whole the goal is something long term and stable not just mm-hmm. okay here's a position for you to get back on your feet figure it out i can tell you though from when i started 12 years ago till now it has changed dramatically the employer the employers that i work with are more open to it and especially now when the workforce there's such a labor shortage so you're you know you're going to have to start looking at alternative labor pools it can't be these perfect people um that are perceived as perfect right that don't have uh, an actual conviction on their background so they must be ideal employees that's not how the world works and so we're changing the opinion and uh, and minds of people as we go and you know current justice reform and attitudes are changing and so that really puts us in like the best position to effectively reduce recidivism to make sure that you know people who are released from prison and people get released from prison every single day in every single zip code in the country so we have to decide as society are we going to keep punishing them once they get out and make it more and more difficult for them to stay out right because mm-hmm. it, when we're not providing somebody with a job and an ability to feed their family they're going right. to resort to other means or they're going to fall back into old habits you know there's such a there's you know this relationship between mental health substance use and justice involvement so we got to figure it out and i'm sure it's not always easy to get employers to see things that way and recognize the significance their decisions about another person truly hold. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions that employers have about justice-involved individuals? And how does HOPES advocate for this population when its managers do encounter employers who may not see things the same way? Well, what I've encountered mostly is um, employers they usually have like a policy in place that says we will not hire anyone with a violent offense and not every employer has that not every you know some employers have no restrictions some are like okay it can't be in the last 7 years there's no u- uniformity mm-hmm. and so that's always throws a wrench in plans right because <laughs> you're like what but the reality is um like violent offenders the rates of recidivism are very very low in comparison to um what would be considered a trust crime um like robbery theft mm. um things of that nature because for the most part there is a substance use component um that goes along with trust crimes and so it you don't have to you just have to think not only of rates of recidivism but rates of relapse mm. and relapse part of recovery right and so I think that employers have this misconception that well I won't hire a violent offender but 
somebody with a trust crime I'm okay with. And I'm like, okay. So (laughs) without knowing kind of the research and and the statistics, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't understand how employers just kind of make these arbitrary decisions, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, But I think that that is usually the biggest push that, that we get is like, well, this conviction is okay, but this one isn't. Like, that makes no sense. Right. Um, so well, there's that. I know this is so crass, but I'm like, you know, and murder is the hardest one. I mean, right? fair enough. Here, Here's the thing. Um, most homicides or most murders, however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. um, they are either a crime of passion. They, It's somebody that they know. It's very stranger killings are fairly rare. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> so, and it's situational and that situation is never going to repeat itself again. Like you can't kill your wife more than once. <laughs> this is, this is true. I know it's a crass way of it, of saying it, but that's what statistics show, mm. you know? So it, it's, it bums me out because I'm just like everybody. And this is my own personal opinion. Right. Not anything to do with, you know, the foundation or anything of that nature. Sure. Everyone, everybody, regardless of the conviction, and I know it's a hard pill for someone to swallow, Mm -hmm. um, including sex offenses, deserve a second chance. They are part of our society, period. Right. And they need to be able to support themselves. Otherwise, they become a burden to society. And when you say burden to society, what exactly do you mean by that? This, if you think about it, it costs the government, I think it's roughly like on average, $28,000 per person per year to have them incarcerated. So what would you rather spend? Twenty, Or would you rather have this person in a job with a livable wage where they can support themselves and their family and pay taxes, pay into the system, or would you rather pay for them? Mm -hmm. You know, so even if you have the perspective of like, even if you're still stigmatizing it, you can't argue with, with that, right? right? It could, both sides of the aisle can support that. Yeah. And I think now is a good time to shift gears a little. And have you speak on some of the benefits that come from second chance programs like HOPES. You've been working with reentry programs for 12 years now and have seen firsthand the vast labor force that is there ready to take advantage of, full of people waiting for opportunities for someone to take that chance on them. But what are some other great things that come from second chance hires? That's the number one thing. Yeah. You have an untapped labor force. Mm-hmm. Number two. A qualified labor force. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. This is a qualified labor force. You know, they are all talented, very smart. You know, it's not, I think that people have an idea, like when you say, you know, oh, I have a felony conviction, mm-hmm. it's like you, your mind pictures something and it's very inaccurate. Right. So I think that is one thing that I would love people to know. It's not like this is a qualified labor pool. Not only that, they already know. If you're like if the employer knows that they have a background, 
they are so the retention rates are insane right because they know that they have to work harder than the next person mm. they have to show up to be on time you got to show up early you know right. you need to be motivated you have to do this you have, all of those things they already know that mm-hmm. and so you're going to get an employee who hustles and who appreciates the opportunity far more than somebody who's just you know like I don't have a background and I have this and people don't see me a certain way so you're not starting at a deficit. Mm. Right. These guys I feel are. like they're already playing catch up. Yep. The hustle is real. Like they are always going to work mm-hmm. hard. Just hard working people, honestly. Right. And I mean, it costs an employer to hire somebody. And when you put forth money and then 2 months later they quit that costs you money. Mm-hmm. So the longer you can retain an employee, the better. And the retention, I mean, I can show you so many statistics. The retention rates are phenomenal for people with a background. I have heard that time and time again through different conversations I've had about this topic and throughout my research prior to today's discussion. And the stigma that follows this population is an uphill battle. Despite the millions of Americans who do have some kind of justice involvement, there are many who don't know and may never know what that's like. And in a way, that's unfortunately how the stigma perpetuates. It's a lack of understanding. I think a step towards destigmatizing being incarcerated is gaining more knowledge and, and understanding what that experience is like and the effects it has on a person. So I guess my question to you is, what do you think is an effective way for non-justice involved individuals to empathize with formerly incarcerated people without having to go through it themselves? How can, how can those people better understand so they can better help? Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the reality is that we all know somebody who has justice involvement, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So even even if it's like you got a speeding ticket, you had to go to court, you had to deal with a cop, like all of those things. So, I mean, even if you yourself have gotten a speeding ticket, try to remember what it felt like when you heard the sirens go off. Everybody, regardless, when you hear that or you look in your back mirror or whatever and you see those lights, you get scared, mm-hmm. you get nervous, yeah. you get anxious, you get sweaty. Now amplify that by a million, you know? Yeah. I... And live your life that way for years. And it, I mean, I can't, I can't even conceptualize of it. Yeah. You know, but I think that empathy and advocacy are two things that anyone can do. Sure. Right? You can... You know, you can empathize and you can try to understand and put yourself in that situation. How would you react? How would you feel? Mm-hmm. And then the other, the other piece that I think is super duper important is to advocate. Mm-hmm. So that means, like, if you go home and talk to your family or your friends, you're talking about second chance employers. And more than likely, you're like, I got to tell you, this is so crazy. You know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, I never thought of that. Right? So the more you can spread the message and advocate for better 
practices in hiring for second chance candidates, that's great because everybody owns a business or works in a business or has access to someone who works in the business. Mm -hmm. So it's like, talk to people. Are you hiring people with felony backgrounds? Mm -hmm. And if they're like, no, I would never, why not? You know, Mm -hmm. and then you can kind of get into their brain and maybe change their view. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. And now that listeners and myself do have a more thorough understanding of the true purpose of second chance hiring practices and what these programs mean to so many, how does someone get involved? What is step one when a justice involved individual is ready to take a step towards their future with hopes? Yeah, absolutely. So um, depending on how they make their way to a hope site, Um, whether it's through like they were referred through the Department of Corrections or their grandmother or their parole officer or another nonprofit, however they make their way there, the first step is going to be um, intake and eligibility. So they're going to fill out documents. It's pretty boring. It's like going to a doctor's office. You fill out, you know, paperwork, you show your ID, you know, once that's stabilized, we're going to get you into restaurant ready, which is um, uh, training. It's an occupational skills training um, that really it is an industry. It, it trains participants to the industry standard in customer service, in accountability, in communications. There's eight different competencies. And so they'll go through that training um, and then hopefully they'll go on to get a credential. So whether it's serve safe, like food handlers, serve safe, um, alcohol management, um, hygiene, allergens, um, and then they can progress up and start looking at more professional, you know, management type credentials. So they get all of their training, they get their credentials, they're in stable housing, everything's good. And then we work with the restaurant association, the state restaurant association, and other community partners to get employment. This discussion has highlighted so many different aspects of second chance employment, from why it's important to you as it pertains to society, and how the HOPES program specifically works to guide formerly incarcerated people to the right opportunities for them to build a better future. As we begin to wrap up, I'm sure there are still some questioning listeners. What would your advice be to a manager who's considering implementing second chance hiring into their company and what's the key to making it work I think that it, everyone needs to be on board mm-hmm. it can't be just one hiring manager you know it needs to be across the company top down that you know the company has made a decision you know and, and i'm not saying like don't run a background check or you know, hire everybody with a back. No, you need to find the right person for the right job. Mm -hmm. But don't count the right person out just because they have a background. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not saying, hey, hire this guy, regardless, no matter what. Right. Right. You find the right person for your, your company, your restaurant, whatever it is, and hire that person. Yeah, it goes back to being qualified. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, that's all I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. Give a a second chance. Level the playing field. Mm -hmm. 
have you ever heard it's called ban the box it's kind of a momentum and it's for companies to take that question off mm -hmm. the checkbox that's all i'm asking for level the playing field because most people who check that box the reality of the situation is they're probably not even in an interview even if they are the most qualified person right so get somebody in the door first interview them find out if their qualifications match your position and if they do offer them the job right like i it's that black and white i think that people have the idea that they're going to somehow be liable if they hire somebody with a background and something happens which is not true right mm -hmm. or they think that if i hire somebody with a background they're going to rob me they're going to scare my customers they're going to do no they're not it's i mean it's these these are misconceptions well i think this discussion has been very informative and effective in debunking some of those misconceptions about second chance programs and the individuals they serve. The bottom line is that we're all human and we should treat each other as such. To me, the lesson overall is to be kind and not make quick judgments about other people, no matter the context. This goes far beyond the hospitality industry. It's just a respectful and smart way to go through life. I want to say thank you so much to Jennifer for taking the time to be a part of this. I love talking about this stuff. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> and I love learning about it. For more information on the HOPES program and its many second chance success stories, you can visit chooserestaurants.org slash programs slash hopes.